The Classic is a new podcast series from Off The Ball, bringing you the real-life drama behind some of sport's most fascinating stories. This is episode one, Brawl, the story of Mayo's Gaelic footballers in 1996 and one of the most controversial finals in GAA history. I'm recording here now, John. Right. Uh, so I, I suppose just kind of as an explainer to, at the top watch uh, that okay. documentary is hoping to be anyway is uh, kind of an exploration into how one thirty seconds in an, in an All Ireland final replay yeah. is a so well remembered uh, and b attention early on overflowing. Well, they all got involved. Some of them are still involved, just to the right of picture. So we'll get to that in okay. just a moment, but we'll just to set the scene. <laughs> the referee is speaking to Colin Coyle. He's also calling in Liam McHale. She's saying, I'm getting a look at that. What's your after doing to me already? He's just mentioned it. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'll take it to the... Anyway, yeah, we'll talk. At the end of 1995, Mayo football was at a low ebb. We played Antrim and Caseman Park in the league. Scraped by 9-7, I think. We played... Wexford, down in Wexford Park, 187. One of the youngest faces in the squad was John Casey. We literally came from nowhere in 96. We went up and played a league game against Tyrone in 1995. And I don't know whether the Tyrone County Board didn't bother or whether we weren't considered important enough. But we went up and the match day programme had 15A and others for Mayo players. But I thought, Jesus, this can't get much worse. Like, mm. this is embarrassing. Like, But low ebbs weren't new in Mayo football. Their last All-Ireland was won in 1951. The Gaelic Athletic Association proudly continues its onward march. And this 1951 has been another year of success and achievement. From the mountains and crags, the plains and the valleys, they've come to see the game of the year. And what a glorious scene it is as we look down on the 78,201 people who have come to see the Battle of the M's. M for Mayo, M for me. As the 96 season began, it was almost seven years since Mayo's last appearance at an All-Ireland Final. In 1989, Mayo had faced Cork in their first All-Ireland Final since 1951. That run to Croke Park had reawakened a passionate Mayo support. For Liam McHale and his teammates, it was a new and daunting experience. It was a bit of a, a, a bit of a shock to the system. At Castlebar on Tuesdays and Thursday nights, you know, the week before the game, you'd have to sneak out. They'd have to get you in a car and sneak out and get you home. It was that bad? You could be sitting, you could be out in the rain for an hour signing hundreds and hundreds of autographs. Um, it was absolutely, absolutely madness. And um, you know, the first one since since um, since '51. So I think that's understandable. But the Again, the fans are uh, a little bit different, I think, than everybody is. For young Mayo fans, the excitement was inspiration. For David Brady, it was proof Mayo could be contenders. 1989 gave me, as a 14-year-old, um, the opportunity to, to dream. So you can envisage, you, you'll go nowhere without having a picture of what you want to be or what you want to do or where you want to go. And it gave me, and it gave the whole of... The Mayo supporters. It was just, it was phenomenal. No, I, I remember going to, to Crow Park on our final day, um, and it was just the most unbelievable experience. I held the flag, the Mayo flag, 
out the window. It wasn't a flag, I think it was a kind of half a stake. <laughs> with a, with a, a male flag on top and I'm gone. Uh, by by Gad, I thought I couldn't feel my arms because it was just like, but there was the wind and everyone had flags out and it was, it was special. And um, the, the songs and everything else. And uh, you know, it's everyone has an affinity to the dream, but it's the experience. You know, and, and I think it was at the time, no, we're not going to sing it. I think it was, the Moy River's flowing, our hearts and dreams are glowing, since coming back to Mayo, back west where he belongs. You know, now, I was 14, I didn't know my maths, I didn't know my English or my Irish, but I knew, <laughs> I knew the songs from Mayo, and I know them to this day. Yeah, yeah, they're still in the back of my mind. If you're going five hours back then to Dublin, and you're changing side A and side B, and so we should play it on the way down. The dream fell a step short in 89. I think we should have won that game against a really, really good Cork team that had lost to me twice in, in the two previous years. But uh, again, people say it was one of the greatest games ever played. It was no good to us because we lost by, was it three points in the end, you know. But we had our chances. Given a lot of leadership. And there it is, Cork are the All-Ireland football champions. And so the wait went on. And over the next seven years, Mayo slipped further and further. 1989 began to look less like an awakening and more like an aberration. As 1996 began, the Mayo team was a mix of new faces, like David Brady and John Casey, and a few familiar ones reaching the end of the road. For the young men on the panel, they would stand alongside the players who in 1989 had given them a belief that anything could be possible. I personally came into the panel in 95, and you're coming into a, a setup where 1989, there's still six, seven of them there that I was pretending to be, wanting to be. I had a, a, a teddy hanging out of my uh, bedroom window, I think, in 1989. Now, look, I was 14 at the time. I was, I was gone past teddies, but I think it was my mother that put it out. But uh, Lee McHale on it and, you know. Looking for a saviour, the Mayo board went all the way to Cyprus and to John Mohan, a former player who was serving in the Defence Forces at the time. Things had been, hadn't been going particularly well for Mayo at the time. You know, everyone was blaming everybody, the management and the county board and everything, everything was, um, everyone was at fault but themselves. And uh, it resonated with me because I, because I knew some of these boys and I knew the lifestyle mightn't ha- have been what it should have been to play at the highest level. Mayo's last championship game had been a humiliation at the hands of Galway in the previous year's Connacht final. John Mohan took the job under no illusions of the task that awaited him. I was uh, on a sports field at, uh, in Nicosia, um, UN headquarters, listening to that game on a, on a telephone line. I had somebody back in, in Ireland, it was pre-mobile phone days, I had somebody back in Ireland with the, with the telephone up to the radio and I was listening to um, what could only be described as a bit of a shambolic performance by Mayo. They were destroyed uh, by Galway in that kind of final. And I must admit, I was, I was very annoyed. I, was, I, I recall that Sunday afternoon feeling really depressed at, the, at Mayo being so comprehensively beaten. At its core, Mohan's formula for a revolution was a simple one. Relentless discipline and work. Yeah, we had a philosophy that um, we were going to get ourselves extremely fit and work uh, work really hard. And I think um, in previous years, I think the, the players themselves would be the first to admit their lifestyle mightn't have been what it should have been. I, I suppose that was a, the, the Mayo thing. I mean, I recall back in my own days, um, 
there was a kind of a, a, a fun uh, element to it. And things had mo- mo- were moving on. If you wanted to be professional and, and present yourselves in a fashion to, to win uh, big games and have a, have a go at winning an Ireland title, you had to be exceptionally fit. And, and the work ethic had to change. And, and, and it did. Like, I mean, I came from a disciplined background. I, had been, I was in the army and um, I knew what was required as regards punctuality and you know, discipline and working hard. And uh, I had that kind of ethos. But I remember when Mohan came in, his first words like kind of echo and still now like he says we'll be whipping boys or nobody when I say we ran and ran and ran it was it was absolutely phenomenal the distance but even trajectory because I remember running hills running dunes like I still walk in a scrum beach and I get a shiver down my spine. We ran that beach and ran them dunes. I'm saying we caused severe damage to the dunes. I don't think, I think they're half moved, honestly. In early 1996, most pundits expected Sam would go north to Tyrone or Derry or perhaps stay in the capital where it had wintered for the first time in almost two decades. Mayo were not in the conversation. Meanwhile, a couple of hundred miles to the east in County Meath, another manager was driving another unfancied squad with his own methods. This is Meath captain Tommy Dowd. Every year, Sean Bynan came up with something different. I know one year he had his rowing boats above on the Royal Canal up the back of Mickey Lines' house. He had us in the sand dunes over at uh, Bettystown and Laytown. We were blue in the face running around the hill of Tara for a summer as well, but he always felt that you had to get the power into the legs and into the body and particularly in the last 10 minutes when a lot of the time we did come strong and uh, play in other counties, they were always kind of looking over their shoulder to, you know, if there were two, three, four points ahead, they still always felt that we were always going to come back at them. And mostly, a lot of the time, that's what happened. As the championship began, Meath found a groove. Bergie, right-footed and straight over the bar. Mayo began with a win too, though they hit the ground with more of a stumble than a sprint in London in their opening Connacht Championship game. Here's John Mohan. We were in right trouble against London after a good league campaign. And that, that, that performance against London was, was, was bad. Um, and uh, we, we won it by a couple of points, but it was only in the last 10 or 15 minutes we managed to shake off a very determined uh, London side. Mayo advanced to the next round of the Connacht Senior Football Championship with an expected victory over London at a rice slip yesterday. But there were times when London made them look second rate. Had the home side availed their scoring opportunities, visitors could have received one of the most embarrassing results of recent years. The fluency one expected from Mayo after their impressive National League campaign was missing, and they will need to improve if they are to overcome Roscommon in three weeks' time. We came home, we actually flew back into Dublin that night. John Mohan was like a cut cat, because we were so bad in London. So I remember he was so mad, we got back to our hotel, we had a quick team meeting, and John Mohan's famous words, drink as much as you're able to train with in the morning. We look at each other and go, ah, here, the boys, it'll be grand. Here's Anthony Finnerty, or Fat Larry, as he's known. We went on the beer, and not alone did we go on the beer in, in, in one country, we went on the beer in two country, countries. We went on the beer in London after the game, and we flew home that night, stayed on the beer. We did coppers and everything, you know. But Fat Larry Finnerty, I heard, was doing a jig on the, the bar of the Harry Lemon or somewhere. My, my, my last in pictures is Larry Finnerty standing on a a grand piano and a him and All-Ireland Irish dancer. And I think some of us might have even had the breakfast before we went to bed in the morning. And if the night felt like times of old, 
the morning was a reminder that a new day in Mayo football had begun. Here's John Casey. So we got up the next morning anyway to go to Westmanstown to train. Now I don't use the words hole openers lightly. That was still the most infamous training session that we ever put in. Brady actually was the cause of it. The training starting over ten times. Mohan was fuming from the day before. He probably was half hung over himself. We were out training. The, the training we done that day was just quite phenomenal. But anyway, he started this endurance run. And within 30 seconds of the endurance run, Brady had lagged about 10 yards behind everybody else. Whistle blew, starting it again. Next thing he had the players fighting with each other. That was his motive, like to get the players psyching each other out of it. So we done this animalistic training is the only way I can describe it. It was brutal of every other. Players getting sick and everything. And it was poor fat Larry who had been doing the jig a few hours beforehand on the bar was down on his hands and knees and you have to put this into consideration Anthony Finnerty is actually older than John Mohan <laughs> but John Mohan was the manager of the Mayo team and poor fat Larry was down on his hands and knees begging for mercy frothing out the mouth and Mohan was leaning over him like the army captain going you haven't got the heart Larry you haven't got the heart and Larry looking up and saying I have John but I just haven't got the lungs <laughs> we all bent over laughing Things were running a little more smoothly in Meath, with Offaly dispatched before a victory over reigning All-Ireland champions Dublin in the Leinster final. He doesn't see him, he goes for the points, and the captain gets the points. What excitement in Crowdfire! Mayo put London behind them with a four-point win over Roscommon to reach the Connacht final. McHale back up assisting him, elegantly taking it away from danger, and that's a great point, a terrific point by Liam McHale. There, they would meet their nearest and fiercest rivals, Galway. Because it doesn't, it, it, it takes nobody else other than Galway to refocus the minds. Comes to John Casey. This man is a good footballer now. And that is a beautiful point. Ultimately, it's, it's Mayo and Galway. That's the one. You really feel like you haven't achieved anything in a football year unless you've beaten Galway along the way. John Casey, one goal and two points to his credits. Gives a ball into David Brady. Tentative penalty. Penalty to Dempsey. Oh! Mayo have responded magnificently. John Mohan salutes his boys. And surely now the Connacht champions have been dethroned. The Mohan era was beginning to look like it could be a revolution in Mayo. They would travel to Croke Park again to face Kerry in the All Ireland semi final. The Irish Times, August 12, 1996. The world turned with seismic effect in yesterday's Bank of Ireland All-Ireland semi-final at Croke Park. It wasn't so much the fact of Mayo's win that caused such surprise, but the comprehensive manner. Final score Croke Park, Mayo 2-13, Kerry 1-10. With Kerry dispatched, suddenly the mirage was growing real. An All-Ireland final with Meath in the biggest game of their lives. Here's Anthony Finnerty. We were saying to the younger lads, you don't realise how big an occasion this will be if we can get to an All-Ireland final. Is it Mayo? Is it Meath? That's what they're discussing, I'm sure. And so the band move off. The teams follow. The Artane boys, whose music has proved so inspiring over the years, will it today inspire Noel Canelli? Here he is, leading his county. Hopefully, from his point of view, he wants to lead them to glory. Likewise, Tommy Dow. Here's David Brady. We were like prepared to a tee. It's the fact where, you know, what during the parade, what we were doing, what we were thinking, 
um, who were to think of. And then when you're meeting the president, line up, face up, and look at Sam McGuire. Look at nothing else and what you're going to do to win the cup. John Casey. I actually look at them games now and watch All-Ireland final day and I go, I don't know how I dealt with this as a 22-year-old, 21, 22-year-old. And I, the cauldron that is All-Ireland final day is indescribable. We played against Kerry. I don't know, was there less than 40,000 at the semi-final? Then to walk out and the crowd has doubled. I just, it was deafening. It was frightening. I remember just simply trying to communicate with Ray Dempsey, who was who was playing inside the full forward line with me, from about five feet, and he couldn't hear me, and I was roaring at the top of my voice, and I went, dear Jesus, this is hard to comprehend, so. Mead's semi-final victory over Tyrone had been tainted by accusations of rough behaviour, and the criticism left an invisible mark on the afternoon of September 15th. This is Mead's Cullum Coyle. The media can get to you, and it, I, I see that. I think there was a kind of bit of that going on with the media between the Tyrone semi-final and final, you know. So we were a young team in that, and I think Mayo probably thought, you know, we can um, we put manners in these boys, you know, which they did the first day. Mayo took control early on, and Meath struggled to stay in touch. Deep into space, well won back. End of back bonus. Four down for Evan Kenny, and it's Kenneth Mortimer. Nicely on as far as James Horan, who started the scoring, of course. This looks good. It's over the bar. That's a second point for James Horan. Michael Lester was watching from the RTE studio in Croke Park that day. It looked most of the day like Mayo were going to win their All-Ireland. They were playing very well. Meath weren't playing particularly well on the day. They were just a little bit off the, the pace of it. Mayo still three points in front. With 10 minutes gone in the second half, Ray Dempsey made it a six-point lead. And here they come with Ray Dempsey having a goal chance, and he makes it! The end of that road, 45 years long, was coming into view. When we went six up, I said, we have this. Like, this is over, you know, we've, we've just got to be tight for another five or six minutes and it's over. And I just couldn't believe it. I was sitting in the dugout looking out and saying, is it going to be an easy All-Ireland? We were just cruising. Meath pulled it back to three, but Mayo were relentless and made it a four-point lead with just minutes to go. I had been substituted, I think, with five, six, seven minutes to go, and we were four points up. And one of our selectors grabbed me on the sideline and said to me, Case, we're all Ireland effing champions. You know, all we have to do is just hang on for those other few minutes, you know. Uh, and the cup is there, you know, you're nearly looking up at the cup saying, you know, you have your hands on it. But nothing can be assured on days like these. And as the reality of what was happening dawned on Mayo, so too did the pressure. When they got that goal, all of a sudden we kind of go, we're in big trouble here, you know. And we were in big trouble. And I think Mayo actually sat back. They kind of could see the finishing line and they sat back and invited us uh, onto them. These boys are throwing everything at us now. They haven't quit. Like once it gets to three points, then you say, your mind is different, you're saying, we're in bother here now, we better... And then you start withdrawing, you start playing defensively. Meath would not let go. Runs on towards Trevor Giles, Meath needing a score and he provides it. 
A fourth point for Trevor Giles. See, good teams won't quit. If that was a lesser team, we had them. They, they look up at the clock, they look up at the scoreboard, they're six down, it's over. But there was no quitting in those meat fellas. And we probably made the mis small mistake of taking our foot off the gas a little bit, thinking we've got them, you know. And I guess that's what happened. It's, it's, it's the only honest way of putting it. Meath never lost faith. Here's their captain, Tommy Dowd. You see a team five or six points up, but maybe seven minutes to go, you say, I don't think it's going to be our day today. But at the same time, you're, you're anticipating the next ball. You're waiting to get the next ball to try and cling in there to see if anything at all can develop. And that would have happened a lot over the years with, with Mead football. You would have done that on many occasions, winning games in the last couple of minutes. With time running out, Mead wouldn't quit. Colin Brady. Colin Coyne. He's moved into left half forward. Brendan Riley. They wanted just to pop it over the bar. He was taking maximum care with it. That's his third point. I know we had momentum and everything else, but again, the... the the claw back. It was nearly like uh, uh, turning off a switch and when the switch did turn off and Meath got on top, it, we were hemorrhaging scores, it just looked like, oh my God, this is turning into a horror show, you know, they're getting back and they're getting back and they're getting back. When the pressure came on Mayo at the end of that drawn match, they just did not do the right things or didn't do them well enough to seal the deal. All they needed was to hang on to the ball and they would have won the All-Ireland. And then, all of a sudden, uh, it was it was it was certainly gone. You've trained all year for this, and it's come down to the last couple of seconds. In the dying seconds, Colm Coyle held the ball near the halfway line. He lobbed a pass towards the Mayo goal. Yeah, well, like I wasn't trying to kick a point from there. Like he was he was free. Coyle's pass bounced and bounced, and as the Mayo players and fans watched helpless, it bounced over the bar. It was funny, like the luck tends to even itself out as I said there's a couple of incidents that happened with the ball that just as I said one bounced the wrong way and then the other one bounced the right way 35 seconds on my watch remaining plus stoppage time Meath trailing by a point as Colin Cohen pumps it in Graham Garrity's in after it they're on in after it and it's bounced over the bar the referee's whistle sounds and they'll have to do it all again I think yes it has ended in a draw a million to one shot, a bouncing ball. Call it luck or fate, but the whole final was turned on its head as Mayo's destiny was clawed from their hands. A stunned Croke Park tried to comprehend what they had just seen. It was all very quiet, and I think it was quiet for the very simple reason that Mayo people, I think, couldn't believe that they hadn't won the All-Ireland. And I think, in fairness, Meath people probably couldn't believe that they were actually getting the second chance at it. And I think we're all kind of just sitting there and saying, OK, well, that was weird, you know, but uh, we didn't realise how weird it was going to get in the replay. Strange silence here in Croke Park, and it finishes Meath 12 points, Mayo 1-9, it goes to a replay. You know, whereas I think that we felt on the first day we lost it, and I think we did, we lost that game, you know, whereas Meath didn't. Meath were the team that sort of had plucked the draw. They, they would have left, I think, with a greater pep in their step than we did. You know, whereas we had nearly our hands on the lugs of Sam and, and you know, you're, you're just waiting for the whistle to blow and then all of a sudden it's a draw. Uh, terrible, terrible feeling, you know. I remember being absolutely shattered. I said, oh, I've got a job to do as a manager. I was trying to pick the players up and 
I looked around and said, who's going to pick me up? Because I was equally as shattered as they were. And uh, it was a tough task. Um, yeah, it, it, it was just, it was dreadful. We were, we, we were so close. Now, I never thought we had it won, but when you're six points up um, and you see uh, the stewards, that call for the stewards to take up position and uh, you go down the home stretch, having played brilliantly well for 60 minutes, it was certainly one that got away. You know, the, the rest is history, really. But we should have finished it off the first day, you know. The replay was scheduled for two weeks' time. The teams went away to collect their thoughts and repair their bodies. And it was during this gap that something happened, which Mayo players and fans will always believe was to have major consequences. Between the draw and the replay, we went for a weekend away. We went down to Clare. And we had a visit from the referee, Pat McEnany, over that weekend, OK? Which was a sort of, we were all just looking around. It was like nearly, you know, the Taoiseach arriving in, you know, in, I'd never seen this or this had never happened before. And there was an incident in, in the first game. There was just a flashpoint where some little thing happened and Mio players sort of jumped, sort of moved in rather quickly. And he said, look, it seemed to me that there was a little flashpoint that was premeditated in the last, in the first game. And he said, I won't be tolerating any of that. He said, there'll be two guys getting sent off. If something like this happens, OK, there's going to be two fellas sent off. And he said, I've already told me the whatever, and this is what, I've, what I'm telling ye. Now, we just shook our heads and everybody was looking around. I think even our management was saying, Look, I didn't even know. If they, we weren't told this guy was going to appear, but he appeared and then he left again or whatever. And everyone was saying, for What's, what was going on here, you know? Now, we interpret it as, as there will be no... If there's a flashpoint, Mayo players will not strike. They will push. They will push and they'll shove. But I firmly believe that the Meath camp interprets We have been given a free hand to beat the heads of these Mayo players. We have already been told two players will get sent off. So if, so if two players get sent off, that will be one from each team. Then, then the other 14 can beat the heads of players and nothing will happen. I think that he he probably wanted to get everything right on the final. He was a, you know, he was top referee and it became subsequently became, you know, the top referee in the country. Uh, and he had his ideas on, on what he wanted to do. He wanted to have control of the game. Pat McEnany visited the Meath camp too. And in the first match, you know, some kicked off up in our forwards with Tommy Dowd and Brendan Riley. And there was about six Mayo guys in on top of them, you know, in a second and put manners on the two of them, you know. And we discussed that and said, if, you know, that's not going to happen again. No Mead managed to be left isolated, you know. So if they want to start anything, so be it. For Liam McHale, there was an unexplained and unsettling prediction sent his way. I got like five or six letters saying that I won't finish the game then I'll be sent off or carried off, but you will not finish the game. Anonymous letters, got about five or six of them coming from Dublin and places like that. And I was like, how could you be getting so many of these? So, so there was some sort of talk going around somewhere that I was going to be targeted or sent off or something. As true as my mother's in heaven, I got about six letters saying I wouldn't finish the game. On September 29th, battle began anew. It was one of the spectacular moments for fans here and uh, around about 66,000 people. The teams recreated the rituals of a fortnight previous and every year before then. They trailed the Artane boys band through a storm of colour and noise and then got into formation for the biggest afternoon of their lives. It was in all respects a replica of every All-Ireland final that had come before. 
but within just minutes. There was a tension and a mood there on the day and it just needed for one little thing to happen and the thing was going to kick off. Here's Liam McHale. But you could feel a tension in the, in, in the air at the start. It wasn't normal, you know what I mean? You, you knew something was going to happen. It was only a matter of time. And it came after seven minutes. Here's David Brady. Because I think it was very early on in the game. Seven minutes. Seven minutes, right. Uh, who was winning the stretch? I don't know. No score. No score, <laughs> A ball dropped in short of the Meath goal. Mayo's Anthony Finnerty went to challenge for it, and then everything changed. Dropped in, and McDermott drops it down, but there's a waiting Meath back there to help them. Attention early on, overflowing. But I did raise my elbow uh, to Darren Fay to try and knock one, and it was a lazy tackle, I know. But he got pushed into me, which looked like I was trying to take the head off him, and then this flashpoint happened. I uh, pushed or slapped uh, Finnerty, and once I kind of did that, he just dived. He just, yeah, I wouldn't call it a punch, it was more of a push, stroke, slap, and he just uh, hit the deck, and the whole thing just kicked off from there, so. I was probably the Egypt that started the fight. Still involved, just to the right of picture. It was the kind of started it and I kind of got a bit of petrol and just threw it on top of the fire, you know. And that's John Casey down there, having shipped enough to the face. So I went for John McDermott, who was, was, was probably one of the, I've made a lot of stupid decisions, that's definitely up there. So I went and, and raced from 25 metres, and the rest, as I say, is history. One little spark in the gold mouth kicked the thing off. Then all of a sudden, it was like a forest fire. They were at it all around the place. The spark happened, and I'm standing there, and I'm saying, right, just go in and hit as many as I can. Started in front of goal, and it was a sequel. That's John Casey down there. Shipped it up to the face. And I had zero idea what was after happening. I, I think I could have actually got knocked out for a second or two. I was actually about to close the headlock thing when John McDermott came in and hit me on the hip and just pushed me out of the way. So pushed me in the path of David Brady. David came in just swinging at everything, so he did. I threw as many punches, I closed my eyes and threw as many punches as I could, whether it was my old men or mead men. It was like something you'd see outside Supermax. Fellas were in, kicking and throwing haymakers and trying to knock fellas out. And some guys did get knocked out, but it was a real fight. Like it was real animosity and anger, you know. Old Kennelly, like, it was, it was offering a kind of a peace sign to Trevor Giles, and old Hollymount instincts came out, and when he just let fly with a left hook at Trevor Giles when he was trying to calm him down, and the same, and I went, oh dear God, that started another little ruckus over the other side. Soon, fury turned to farce. So, next thing, I see Connor Martin. So, I said, grab him, and actually, he grabbed me, so none of us threw a box. And we actually ended up doing the bossa nova, or uh, uh, some sort of a dance on the edge of the square. I think that the referee is going to have to take some action there. That was disgraceful scenes. So nearly every player in the pitch was fighting. And uh, not even final. We don't need them scenes. And I think we see the referee in the two. As the whirling cluster settled and split, there was a moment when it appeared that referee Pat McEnany would take no action. But then, after conferring with his umpires, he scanned the crowd of players. The referee is speaking to Colm Coyle. He's also calling in Liam McHale. Christ, what's after happening here? 
and then the realization yeah well, do you know what's going to happen here it really is impossible to pinpoint where all of that got to and they are both being sent off it seems oh sensation of sensations here i don't believe this this is crazy i was walking off the beach and i was there like this is bizarre Man of the match in the first game, Mayo's talisman, Liam McHale, walked off. I, I, I admit that I swung punches and connected, but I wasn't the only one. And the, the thing that I can't understand is how Cullum Coyle and myself got sent off. When you have that many people in a melee in a fight, how can you send off two? Like, I'll, I'll never understand that. Meads Cullum Coyle. You know, from Liam McHale's point of view, there's about five Mayo men who should have walked before he did. You know, Dempsey should have gone, Finnerty should have gone, John Casey. Why why did they pick on the two of us, you know, when there's the rules are the rules and there's probably about seven from both sides should have walked. I don't think there's any Mead lads that done any worse than I did. <laughs> but there was definitely Mayo lads that did worse than me, McHale. McHale's loss left behind him a chasm in Mayo's midfield and a team struggling to make sense of what had just happened. He was a critical player for us. He was just monumental at the time. He was... Our best player, very, very influential around the middle of the field. He was just a giant. But I think the bigger loss was Mayo's in having Liam McHale uh, sent off. Now, it's not to say that Colin Coyle wasn't uh, valuable. Of course he was to the Meath team. But you can rearrange your defence without too much difficulty. But when you have a talisman in the middle of the field who has now gone off the pitch after a few minutes, you now have been dealt a huge blow in it. So the brawl was just bizarre and the, the, the impact of that then on the match was huge. Despite the crippling loss of McHale, Mayo began well and got on top of Meath again. We had all this bizarreness happening and then we had a football match to play afterwards. James Horan gets the first point. The half-time position here is Mayo 1-6, Meath 1-2. As the game was going on at half-time and all that, it wasn't really what the score was in the match or what their chances of winning are or you know, what they should be doing. And everybody was, the brawl was just on everybody's mind. You can really hear the newspaper headlines being written as the match is going on and you know it's going to be about the brawl. As the second half started, Mayo again began to fade. Here's Trevor Giles onto his left boot. They are just eating into this lead. So ridiculously early in the free taken very quickly. Tommy Dodd here, tripped. Again, it would go down to the final seconds. Brady, on for James Nolan. Strong defence there by John McDermott. And it comes towards James Horan. And Horan has kicked it over. And the sides are level. And they're level for just the first time in this match. And Horan has got a magnificent five points, all of them from play. Meath went ahead with just moments left. We're inside the last minute. Here's Brendan Riley. Will he be the All-Ireland final hero? The angle shot and it's gone over the bar. Brendan Riley has kicked his first point of the match. With about 18 seconds to go and it's all over. Mead have won the All-Ireland. In the dressing room after the final whistle, David Brady sat with his close friend and clubmate Liam McHale. It was life-shattering from Life-shattering. He kind of knew that maybe it was his last last hurrah, it was, it was greatest chance and greatest opportunity. We sat down and uh, there was tears. I lost in Ireland, it was taken away from Liam McHale, that's the way, that's the way two individuals look at it. 
and it was like a death in the family. I took that very serious because I knew there wasn't too much, too much time left, and it took a lot out of me personally because I really became nearly obsessed with trying to win an All Ireland. When the day is over and you know it's over, then it's 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 tough to take, you know. So even as Meads Tommy Dowd lifted Sam Maguire, it was clear this final and their victory would be remembered for one thing. Came out of the dressing rooms after the game. All everybody wanted to talk about was um, was the row. It wasn't about it wasn't about uh, winning the Sam Maguire. As Michael Lester and his colleagues in the Sunday game prepared to analyse the game, the scale of what had happened began to dawn. We have had literally thousands of phone calls because from football fans, I suppose from casual uh, observers of maybe the big match occasions, uh, who rang in enraged by all of this. I mean, just to take an example of some of the Ryan Doyle from County Down, who's age 12, thought it was a disgrace. Patrick Dolan from Glasnevin thought the referee was totally wrong to send off McKay um, and uh, Colin Dimsey Hoy. wrestles, and here comes the first blow where Dimsey hits Darren Fay. Anthony Finnerty comes in just to finish him off a little bit and, and gives him a touch of the elbow. But it wasn't all over again. <laughs> he'd, he'd make Michael flatly eat his hat up because this is a wonderful high leg action here. A wonderful stretch on the right foot. And it would be very interesting to see, I would like to see the GA using video evidence and take a little bit of action on some of those players. It's a bad advertisement for the game and uh, it'll have to be stopped. For Meath, the controversy raged around them everywhere except at home, where they returned to live out lifelong dreams. The homecoming will always live in the memory. We came back, came down on the bus through um, Kiltail and Trim and out to my home village of Dunderry. There was thousands of people in the village and to bring the Sam Maguire onto the stage where my mother and father were um, were sitting was just just an incredible feeling and, and it's something that'll probably always live with me. For the Mayo players, their return home was a silent one. I didn't want to meet anybody. I was nearly half embarrassed. Embarrassed for losing a game that we probably should have won. Embarrassed by my own performance. Just, yeah, it's hard to comprehend the way I was feeling. I don't think I docked back to Charlestown here until the Friday after losing that All-Ireland. I remember just walking down the street and the last time I had been in town, I was a hero. And people were gone mad and the place was gone. John Casey Maney had hit Charlestown and the place was crazy. And now I'm back with my tail between my legs, having failed. In the weeks after the brawl, the media coverage continued, with the players under fire from all corners. Cullum Coyle, who had his final cut short with the red card, felt the full brunt of it. Uh, you know, disgrace to the GA and... Um thugs and you know um, so this went on for ages The GEA summoned both teams to Croke Park for disciplinary hearings weeks after the match and as David Brady arrived he realised the fire had not gone out So I kind of went to Croke Park I remember getting out of the car and it was like like the Oscars the, the flashing of cameras and I was I was blinded for about three seconds because maybe there was like 25 photographers individual local papers national papers and it was just I was Startled. Players from both sides were punished with lengthy bans. Barred from club games, as well as living with the pain of what had happened in the replay, Lee McHale retreated. I, I was finished. I said, that's it. I'm done with this now. I can't take any more of this. I went from 16 stone ripped to about 19 stone by Christmas. So I just downed tools completely. My brothers were very worried about me. I was, wasn't training. Where's Liam? You know, where's Liam? He's not. He's uptown. You know, why isn't he going training? You know, the boys would come into the pub, I'd give me another week and, you know, and all. so it took me three months. You have to understand then as well, I think all those things make you a stronger 
human being as you get older and you'll be able to deal with debts in the family better and stuff like that. You don't get rattled as much. And in a, in a, in a funny sort of way, these experiences aren't too bad at all, you know, in the scheme of things. Yeah, I'm definitely a way stronger person than than I think I would have been if I if I didn't go through those experiences. That's that's why I love sports so much. It, it does so much for a human being, you know, whether you win or lose. For the Mayo players, the pain still lingers. One victory lost on one chaotic second, a random hop of a one in a million shot, and the next lost after a minute of madness. But whatever positives they can take, the pain lives on for many. My last day in the Mayo jersey and I probably think about it maybe not every day but close to every day I think about that I don't want to think about it but it's 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 still I still feel it's the real one that got away but when as you go on in life I think it's a lot is about the, the about the friendships you make and you know the great the great times that you have the All-Ireland lasts for 60 70 minutes or whatever it lasts for it's 70 minutes out of a year but the, the season is a full season lasting over 8 months and when we look back on that year I suppose basically a crowd of young lads who were willing to put you know their bodies and their hearts and whatever it is on the line took me or to within a kick of the ball of winning in All-Ireland you know John Casey doesn't get any easier I have to say um I do still have nightmares and I do mean that literally and it doesn't happen it doesn't happen regularly but it happens out of the blue it could randomly it probably happen again tonight after talking about it so and is the dream the same? Or? yeah same dream the ball you see the ball bouncing over the bar just crumpled on the field the, the, the feeling of just the ground eating me alive and uh, very very difficult to take but one I'm going to take the grave for Meath and for Cullum Coyle in particular the main regret is that their finest hour is remembered not for how they played in their own incredible year, but for that minute of chaos. Here is Colin Coyle. I spent 18 years playing football for me, and uh, uh, I, had a, I had a nephew, and he said to me, he was watching YouTube, and he, he says, oh, I saw you playing football on YouTube. He says, he says you're a very good footballer. And of course, chess went out, I was delighted. And I says, what game were you watching? He says, oh, the Mead and Mayo Row. So there's not a ball in sight, so... Um, so unfortunately, that's the legacy. For the other man red carded, Liam McHale, time has given perspective and healing. People ask me if I have any regrets. I have one. The only regret I have is I didn't win in All-Ireland. But I, I, I'm very proud of, the, of myself. I'd be 100% positive that I gave everything I had, physically and mentally, to the games in the championship. And uh, that gives me a great sense of peace. You know what I mean? That myself and my teammates were honourable in their efforts. Here's David Brady. You need to grasp these moments and these times and, 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 and seconds in history that will always be talked about. You do what you do at the time. Um, some will regret it, some won't. Some say it was, it was, part, of, it was part of what we were. And that's, that's, that's life. That's football. I put it like this to you. 1996 was filled with the greatest memories, stories, fun that any I could have ever, ever imagined as a young fella growing up or as a, as a GEA player. But yeah, there's a cloak of heartbreak still around it. But it's what was there and what was then. You enjoy the moment and I enjoyed every single bit of it, whether it was the fighting, the football or the fun. For Mayo, the wait goes on, now 68 years and counting. For the men of 96, their day never came, and the dream lives on.
we know how Mayo people love their football and there's no county in Ireland with a passion for football like them. And, uh, and maybe maybe the passion is all about, you know, the the quest. Maybe if we had a few All-Irelands, you know, uh, the passion mightn't be as great, but I, I don't know. But uh, the quest will still go on and the passion will always be there, I suppose. Brawl was narrated by Owen Shane. The programme was produced by Owen Shane and Owen Brennan. Sound design by Frank Sweeney. The series producer is Owen Brennan. This programme was made with the assistance of the Sound and Vision Scheme, funded by the Television Licence Fee.